Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Ruler podcast. I'm Ian Parkinson. It's been a while. This is the podcast for issue 65, and I hope by now you'll have had a chance to read it from cover to cover. One of the highlights for me is the first-person diary from his very first Tour de France by the Orica bike exchange rider, uh, Chris Juliensen, and I'm delighted to say he's on the line now. Uh, Chris, welcome to the Ruler podcast. Thank you very much. Where are you exactly? I'm in Denmark. I'm in Copenhagen. I've just come home from Enico Tour, actually. Yeah, how was that? Uh, parts of it looked like a, a Flanders classic this year. Yeah, it was. It was actually. It was. A, it was. It was. It was a good race, and it was. It got pretty grim on the Sunday stage, but I enjoyed it. With my sort of Irish Nordic blood, I I I have nothing against riding riding in the rain. So um, no, I had a I had a good time in Enico, and now I'm I'm getting ready for the the team time trial worlds. So I'm riding around Copenhagen. Looking like a, a a triathlete on my TT bike is a bit worrying. <laughs> I'm trying to um, decipher your accent because it's a fascinating accent. Now you're, you're Danish. You ride for an Australian team, but you were actually brought up in Ireland. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, my both my parents are Danish, so I actually, there's no Irish family back in uh, back in Ireland. But yeah, my my older brother, younger sister, and I we we were born and raised in Ireland. Lived there for 16 years and went to to Denmark in 2005. So how did you get into cycling then? Mainly because my, my dad, he picked it up, not because he's a former bike rider, he just, he started at a late age. Um, and then he, you know, my brother got interested and it was mountain, we, we rode mountain bike primarily back then. And, um, you know, typical little brother, I thought, okay, my, my brother can, then I certainly can as well. And then it sort of more or less just took off from there. And then more, it was more or less, because of foot and mouth disease, uh, which most people probably can remember, that we were forced onto the road. We were never really keen uh, road riders, but because we couldn't really, we couldn't really ride a race for an entire year in the forest or on the fields. Then um, we took up road racing, and I quickly, um, yeah, I quickly preferred that to to mountain biking. Well, let's take a look at your uh, tour diary in uh, issue sixty-five because it's it's a lovely piece of writing. What what prompted you to do it? Well, I enjoyed doing um, doing the piece uh, when I did my first Giro um, for the magazine. Although it, it it was still sort of a diary, but it was, it's slightly different in the way I've I, I collected all my thoughts or my experiences through uh, doing my first Grand Tour. Um, and I've enjoyed quite a lot doing um, obviously doing writing the blogs for the f- for the magazine. But I thought this time 
it being the the tour, but also I've just changed in terms of what's interested me writing wise. Um, not to sound like I'm I'm an established writer, but but I felt that it was it it was it would be interesting um, to try and write something slightly more you know write more th- a th- more thorough account of of my tour experience compared to the Giro, which was on postcards, cycling gloves, uh, feed bags, cake wrappers. You know, it, it was it was slightly more, had a, maybe a more funny tone to it, where the tour experience has a slightly more serious tone to it. You say during the piece that you're a little bit fed up with social media. You, you, you're kind of fed up with the, with the fast stuff, as it were. Yeah. Um, was that part of it as well? It was in a way, um, because I think it's important for me to um, make people clear the fact that I have nothing against social media or people who use it. I was just getting, if they use it, you know, or not, there's no way of using, defining, use social media correctly. But personally, I just, oh, it's just, it's becoming too much if you ask me, you know. I'm not good at taking pictures. So it would be it would be a bit of a lie if I was to make an Instagram account and be like, oh, look, I can Photoshop 15 times a picture. Now, now I'm suddenly a photographer. Twitter was always a bit of fun, but it, it, it just, people, it started, you know, uh, taking up too much time. You know, it was, it was, it was time waste from my um, perspective. So I was like, I might as well try and delete that side of a uh, time waste and, you know, ignore all the, the noise that comes from Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. If you're, if I'm not really using it to any sort of beneficial purpose, then um, I enjoyed more actually sort of ignoring it and then concentrating on gathering my own account without having to necessarily tell the whole world about it. But then the ironic thing is people could say, yeah, but okay, you posted it in, in one of the coolest magazines. So aren't you also guilty of wanting people to know and hear and listen about what I am, what I experience? But I still feel it's slightly different because I think it's it's healthy. Certainly for me, it's not constantly walk around with that you know that urge that oh this is this is a cool moment or this is enjoyable or I'm, this is whatever you can only be from having a dinner with your missus or going for a walk going for a cycle, but not necessarily having that urge that you have to share share it with everyone because at the end of the day no one really cares. What really matters is that you remember the bloody experience, um, and you take it all in. So that's that's that was something I enjoyed with the with writing the diary. You know, it was sit down write something or write write a lot or write not very much but still just you know keep it to myself and then afterwards give it to you guys and then see what people think of it so when you were writing stuff down was it with an eye to publication was it sort of in the back of your head someone else is going to read this or was it very much a sort of private diary when you were writing it Mm, it was obviously i knew that i was you know i wanted people to to read about my tour experience because with, for, which is one of the reasons why I like riding for the roller is that although I'm a bike rider, I like trying to explain and describe to people the the different aspects of being a bike rider, not necessarily of getting on your bike, riding 200 plus kilometers, but more about all the other stuff that, you know, revolves around riding a bike, being a pro, doing the world's biggest bike race. So obviously when I uh, wrote all this down, it was... Um, I knew that I'd, I'd I'd send it into you guys, um, so it's a, you could call it a diary, but yeah, it's more just an account of how I experienced um, how I experienced the tour, because as you notice, there's 
a lot of the time where I actually don't mention what happens in the stage or in the race, and which you know would for many people also be interesting, considering we won a stage. Um, Yatesy was fourth, came not didn't come out of nowhere, but still fourth, won the uh, the white jersey. Where I preferred sort of more explaining about my own sort of account, my own experience. And this whole circus of writing the Tour de France for the first time. And did you find it helped writing things down by hand as well on on paper? Yeah, I've always been. I've never. I've never been particularly good at writing uh, things down on computer. When it's sort of, for example, when I write my, uh, when I used to write the blogs, I'd always jot down all my ideas on paper first, and then sort of collect my ideas on the computer. I think that has something to do with the way we'd study or we'd go to school in Ireland, St. Anna's College, and then also how I studied in Denmark. It was always written in hand. So I've never been particularly good at, uh, you know, it's more honest when it's on in hand, you know what I mean? And then it was, it was, it was, it was quite nice because I said, you know, I'd be lying in my bed. I'm like, oh, fuck, what am I, I going to do? Because you're wrecked. I was wrecked after the stages and just exhausted. It's, you know, that's why... I, Obviously, having the internet, it's a nice, nice thing to have because it's a, you can sort of you know, channel your exhaustion through through that. Where it's it's different reading and writing when you're just when you're when you're tired, but it was still a nice thing to do because I was sort of forced to to do it or read something or write something, regardless of how interesting or non-interesting it is, because um, I chose to not go on Facebook and not go on Twitter. And it's not to sound like one of these anti-social or anti-social media hippies, like, ooh, it's poisonous and blah, blah, blah. I just felt it was a relief to be sort of, you know, ignorant of what's going on. Just concentrate on what you're actually doing in in real life. Because then all of a sudden, you know, um, the world is not so big, you know, and overwhelming. But then, you know, all this shit in, in Nice happened, which was, you know, you couldn't avoid it. That was the terrorist attack on, on Bastille Day. Yeah, and there, um, that I I I I found out by by hearing the uh, I I listened to the ra- Danish radio, so I obviously I listened to the news, and uh, I re- read the newspapers, so I knew all about it, and I was still addicted to that news, you know that uh, channel of of news and breaking news. So, in a way, I I was you know I I fell back into this ocean of of information that you can sort of discuss: is it necessary or is it not? Because it's, it, it created this uneasiness, um, which it often does when you when you hear about these these horrible tragedies. And there, it was quite nice to be able to sort of write about it because you're walking around with all these thoughts and these worries and these insecurities, and no one's really talking about it because sort of it's it was not a taboo, but it was like okay, we're doing the race, and then this the tragedy in Nice happens, like you can't ignore it, you know, you can't ignore the impact it has on both France, the rest of the world, and then the race which is taking place in France, not particularly far from Nice. And we're, we're just, you know, this thought of, you know, no one, it seemed like no, none of the writers, we really wanted to accept that, bloody hell, we're actually, we're, we're sitting ducks, you know, we're, we're potential targets. And they were sort of nice to get it off my chest and write about it, because at the end of the day, it was, a, it was something that, that it took up quite a lot of, what, a lot of space. Um, but I was just glad I came to the conclusion that the feeling of being able to, you know, um, give something back, um, in terms of the amount of people that were along the side of the road, whether it was before or after the Nice tragedy, they were still going to 
to see a bike race that passed and it took five seconds and the bike riders they're out of sight but it we we were part of this this summer you know enjoyment this uh, people relate cycling tour de france with summer and summer was tour de france um, and that was nice to feel that being a part of something that you know encouraged people to go outside and enjoy a bit of sunshine have have a bit of wine um, and not concentrate so much on all the negative stuff going around. You talk um, a lot about sort of wanting to describe what it's like being a pro rider, not just on the bike, but uh, you know the, the whole, everything that surrounds it. Um, is, is there anyone that you've read who, who thinks gets it right? Are there any sort of people you've come across that where you've thought, yeah, that, that they get it? Well, that's a good question. And here I might expose myself of being a bit of a novice in terms of reading other people's stuff. <laughs> um or maybe being just too vain that I only read my own stuff and ignore everybody else's. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that you're not influenced by other people. Yeah, yes and no. I think where I've been influenced is, for example, the books I've been reading. They're, you know, some of these modern classics and these classics. What's It's it's sort of like when you watch an old film. If you watch um, uh, The Deer Hunter and then you watch a similar movie but made in, you know, being produced now, the scenes are so much longer in the old movies, you know, Things are being described. It takes a lot more time to sort of describe the atmosphere, the pictures. Everything's sort of dragged out where nowadays, which maybe reflects our sort of our need to know everything fast and easy and quick, it's sort of things are sort of shortened. And it's the same with these books I read. It's, it's just so it's interesting to read them. And the books are relatively simple. You know, the storyline is pretty simple, pretty basic. But it's just the way the author is able to describe all the elements um, involved with the story, you know, walk, just walking down the street or, you know, had all sort of basic, general, everyday things that you walk, you notice without really noticing it, how that's put into words. And that's, you know, and it's it's hard to find examples because you, you, you read heaps and then it's like when someone asks you, what's your favorite song? You're like, oh, shit, I can't even remember what favorite, my favorite band is, you know? But it's more, that's, that's how I sort of wished to try and describe my experience with cycling, if that makes any sense. You describe your reading list for the tour, which includes some George Orwell and some Ernest Hemingway. And and that's sort of not the typical reading matter, I imagine. Maybe I'm being unfair for a pro cyclist. Uh, yes and no. I think there's um, more readers than um, people may think. But again, it's, yeah, it's it, it was maybe a, an unusual reading list. Um, but I, I, I brought those books mainly because I'd asked people that I know through cycling primarily you know cycling's quite interesting you get to know so many different people through so many different layers social layers you know artists authors journalists business you know influential uh, people within you know uh, who have you know powerful business uh, jobs so they're all able to influence me in terms of what they think I should read so I, I like asking all these people and then I brought the books and then I found them you know quite fascinating in terms of how they're written and how you know, it could be cool to try not and write something as good or similar because I believe I'm far from it. But still trying to, you know, give an account of cycling, which is maybe your, your not your typical account because the typical account is stage, stage whatever, got my bike, my legs were tired, uh, I had my big breakfast but didn't really want to. The stage started, talked to a few guys, had to get some bottles, we hit a, hit a climb, it's so hard climb, I did such and such watch, blah, 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 blah. And it's like everyone everyone can see that in the telly. You know, you can see those accounts on the television. But you can't really see or feel or smell or hear 
what it's like being within the bunch or thinking about not being in the race when all you've done for the whole year is be at the race. And then the moment you get on the bike, you're fantasizing or daydreaming about, you know, spending your holiday along the road in some, you know, beautiful area in France. You know, these strange thoughts and feelings that go through your body at the same time you're doing the world's biggest bike race and you're expected to perform and all you want to do is perform, you know? If that makes any sense, it could, my my way of explaining it could be a bit mumbo-jumbo. It makes perfect sense. Um, and, of course, Ernest Hemingway, you took uh, the movable feast, and Hemingway loved cycling. And uh, there's actually a bit of a touch of Hemingway in some of the writing that you've done. It's those very short sentences, the very direct language. Was that a deliberate thing? Had you read um, Hemingway before you started doing the, 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 um, the diary? No, um, but I do enjoy trying to explain as much in as you know, as few sentences, as short a sentence as possible, because at the end of the day, I'm also a bike rider, so I like things being simple and easy to understand. And what I've trying to trying to learn through, also through reading some of these books, is that you can explain a lot without having to write too much, you know? Uh, it's a question, like with my blogs, they have to be easy to read, easy to understand, but they have to be filled with examples and, you know, pictures that people can paint in their own heads, but it doesn't have to be a paragraph where there's, maybe two sentences, you know, it has to be digestible. Um, and that's why I find that these modern, these, these books that people call modern classics, it's quite interesting to see how easy they've been written, but how well they've been written, if you know what I mean. Like there, there's heaps of, you know, you, you, you paint so many cool pictures in your head when reading them and, you know, you, you start thinking and this and that, but it's, it's, they're quite easily read but they're still, you know, but, and then they're being regarded as, as these influential classic uh, books that everyone should read. George Orwell in particular, sort of an example of someone who wrote very simply but, but, but incredibly powerfully. Yeah. Have you read Bill Strickland's Ten Points? Has anyone recommended that to you? No. Bill Strickland um, of uh, Bicycling Magazine uh, wrote a uh, book called Ten Points, which is not really about being a pro because he was an, an amateur uh, rider um, and actually it's about much much more than bike racing but you should take a look at that if you've got um, some spare time some of the best descriptions I think of riding in a bunch and that confusion the sort of madness of being in a race yeah I, I, I think I enjoy that because I think there's like you said there's I think there's heaps of people riders not just me who look at cycling the same way as I do and um, then again you know I'm as guilty as everybody else in social media is like the people there, there could be more writers out there who are better, more knowledgeable, and better at explaining them than I am. That maybe listening to this podcast, I'm like, fuck, no. he he likes the sound of his own voice. You know, if he was an ice cream, he'd lick himself. Um, so it, it is this fine line of being not being too much sort of out there and be like, oh, look, look at me, I read this in this book and I wrote this in this blog. But at the end of the day, that's what I enjoy. And that also it sort of reflects my personality that I like telling people about what I'm interested in. I just don't feel necessary to sort of bombard people. But, you know, oh, I'm, I'm having lunch. Look at this picture of me having lunch. Like, if lunch is so great, don't take a picture of it. Maybe enjoy lunch with your friends or your missus instead of trying to tell people about it. So this year was not only your first uh, Tour de France, it was also your first experience of the uh, Gruppetto in the Tour de France, uh, the, the autobus. How, how was that for you? How was that experience? It was good. But again, like, I, you know, I gave an account of sort of a, a, a Gruppetto experience, which is, is in, which is this sort of uncomfortable nerviness, you know, that I always experience when I'm in the Gruppetto when I'm not sure whether we're in or out of the time limit. 
And I've never actually been in a gruppetto where we've gone out of the time limit. It's hard to say it's enjoyable, but um, it's always enjoyable when, when you're there on the basis of having done a big load of work, you know. The gruppetto, more or less, every day in the Giro last year where we were Alberto won, that was actually quite enjoyable because I was one of the reasons why the gruppetto had been formed, why people were tired, because I'd been sitting at the front most of the day for a lot of the stages. Where the tour was sort of a little bit different, but still the same. You know, you work hard, you get dropped, and then you have to go on the gruppetto. But there's always this sort of transition between getting dropped to falling into the gruppetto that I've always found a little bit difficult, you know. And you can see that some riders, they just, they just can't accept that now they're dropped. Now the most clever thing to do and reasonable thing to do is get into the gruppetto, make sure that you're fine at a time limit, and then save as much energy as possible. But you see heaps of riders who sort of, a bit like me as well, and I can imagine my dad would be one of these riders who just would not accept defeat and it's not it's 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 also unfair to call it defeat because it's just you've done your work you can't you know you get dropped people are just faster and stronger now you have to you know use your brain a little bit because you still have maybe 14 15 17 stages left and it's a question of saving as much energy as possible and then it's like ah but maybe and oh and i could maybe find another group but looking back i should have said okay fine gruppetto for me every day where i got dropped you know and then there's some stage where you go, okay, now I can keep going for as long as possible and maybe try a little bit longer when I'm not with the front guys. But, um, you know, it has to be done in a manageable way so you have enough energy for the next day so you can do your work. It makes no sense spending a shitload of energy for on yourself in, in no man's land. And then you go next stage and you're like, oh, lads, I'm a bit tired because I was, oh, what were you doing? Oh, I wasn't, were you in the gruppetto? Mm, no. Were you in the front group? No. Where were you then? Oh, I finished like 50th. Oh, that's great. What team can use that? <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Are you planning to carry on with the writing? Yes and no. I mean, I think, again, which is why I enjoy doing the tour, because sometimes I could, I could not get stressed, but this feeling of I want to write a blog, you know, I want to try and explain or tell a story or whatever. And the more I, I wrote about it, obviously the less ideas I sort of had left. And then, uh, you know, sometimes someone would just shoot into mine. Like, for example, one of my uh, the latest blogs, which was in the spring or in the winter, I can't remember, where I wrote about a doping test, which is like, the, obviously, this is something people never experience. So, and it, you know, there's so many awkward situations that occur during a doping test. And people are maybe afraid of sort of talking, ooh, I'm, I've been doping test. Like, there's maybe this taboo about talking, just talking about an actual test, you know, it's completely harmless. So I was like, oh, obviously, there's there's a lot to talk about here. But now, throughout this season, I felt that the tour was a great opportunity to actually write something in depth and then not have to worry so much about, about the blogs, you know, con- having to do blogs continuously throughout the year. Sort of do something, do a chunk, and it's cool that it's in print as well. And then I'll just have to, you know, see what, what comes up you know, in the course of the next couple of months, you know, maybe something all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, obviously I'll write about that. But now I go to the world TT, you know, the triple T, the team time trial. And there's so much involved with that, but I've already wrote, wrote about it. I wrote about that two years ago, you know, so I have to sort of find new ideas where I feel it necessary to, you know, give my sort of side of story, my, my experience of, of something. And maybe a book when you eventually retire. Yeah, maybe, but, um, I'm, I'm always a little bit very careful with the whole book thing because 
first of all, if it was to be a book, which is maybe also one one of the things I enjoyed with the writing with the tour thing, because it was sort of a slight, a, so, somewhat longer than my blogs. So in a way, it was I wouldn't call it a book, but it was a, a mini mini book for me anyway. But I was to write a book, I, I would most definitely write it myself. You know, I wouldn't want a ghostwriter to do it. So, and I can't write it in the style of my blog. You know, I remember I wrote a uh, read a book called A Year in the Merde about an English journalist who went to Paris and spent a year in France, and it was super funny. But after 200 pages, you know, it's not really funny anymore. So if I wrote a book that that was sort of in the same tone as my blogs, I think myself and everyone else included would be like, okay, it was funnier when it was a couple of paragraphs, but when it's an entire book, it's sort of like steady on. So if I were ever to write a book, I certainly have to be slightly more mature in my, my writing style, I feel. But luckily, you know, I'm only a fifth year pro, so I've, I've yet to, ex- I have a lot to experience yet before... I can sort of defend my my reasoning for writing a book. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Um, do stay around just for a, a, a little while. I, I hope you do have many years riding ahead of you and I hope you carry on writing as well. All that remains for me to do on this podcast is the Ruler Competition. On the last podcast, David Miller asked how many times has Nara Quintana ridden the Tour de France? And the answer was, at the time of asking, of course, twice. The prizes were three signed copies of Chris Boardman's book, Triumphs and Turbulence, and the winners are Martin Wallace, Michael Brunskill and James Mussett. Now, for this podcast, the question was going to be, where was Chris Julienson born? However, you've kind of given that away earlier <laughs> earlier on in the podcast can you think of another question that uh, that you could ask uh, our listeners I, we could ask um what club did i write for when i was an underage writer but i don't know that would be a slightly too specific question let's make it hard for them because the uh, because the prize is really good the prize is actually a road book the bible from this year's tour de france from the tour de france uh, 2016 so let's make it hard so uh, which club did you ride as first ride for um as a junior uh, yes uh, no as, not as a junior but as a under 16 rider before i moved to denmark so my my club in ireland so uh, which club did you ride for in Ireland as an under-16 rider? And if you need a bonus question, you can ask people, who did I ride the Youth Olympics for in 2005, for Ireland or for Denmark? OK, uh, that will be uh, a tiebreaker, I guess. <laughs> yeah. OK, so uh, go to the podcast page of the Ruler website, look at Podcast 65. All the instructions for the competition are there. Uh, the Ruler Classic is coming soon in London. Hope you've got your tickets already. Lots of star names there. Hopefully no repeat of Kenny Van Vlamick's behaviour of last year. Listen out for that. Take it easy out there and thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.